Morning, my name is Bill Malone, and I'm community care pastor here at Mannheim BIC Church. Well, it felt a little bit different this morning because the last few weeks we've had teams of people we've been sending out, um, and this morning we don't. We still have one that is in El Salvador. Uh, Pastor Brian texted me right at the start of first service uh, saying he was praying for us, and uh, we can pray for him as well because this was going to be his first attempt at preaching in Spanish in, what did he say, 10 years? He said that last week. So anyway, um, the uh, Tim's team came back yesterday. The team from Haiti uh, is back as well. And uh, so anyway, this, I feel like it's a normal service this morning. Nothing, nothing different. Um, we're in a series, the midst of a series of messages in the summer months from the book of Psalms, but I'm actually going to break it here because I want to just share something on a personal note. Um, early in the year... We knew July was going to be a full month, and it really was for us. But one thing more than anything else stood out for us, um, and Stan, if you want to put the first photo up there, um, I got to do this on July 21st. Um, Our older daughter, Larissa, got married at Lomont Farms, and that was a Friday night that was hot. And you see what I'm wearing? And they didn't let the men into the air-conditioned building until an hour and a half beforehand because the girls were getting dressed in there. So anyway, but it was a great day and very special day. And Stan, if you want to put up the next one. So we're, we're really pleased. I uh, have a new son-in-law, Aaron Robinson. And so this is our crew. And uh, yeah, we're just thrilled. Obviously, one of the big events that happens in any family. And uh, so thanks for giving me the liberty. Not that you had any choice in it. Um, to share a little bit personally. Oh. Well, today in our series in the Psalms, we are looking at Psalm 146, and so if you have your Bible or device, you could turn there. The Psalm is the final one of the the last five in the book of Psalms, 146 through 150, and they are known as Psalms of Praise. Uh, Fairly simple and straightforward. All of them start the same way, praise the Lord, and in the original language, and we actually sung it in the last song, it's hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord is what that means. And each of the Psalms, these last five, start the same way and end the same way. Now, they're different, but the one thing that they have in common is that they give reasons why we can give praise to God. And we're going to come to that. This Psalm is talking about trust. It's a big, important piece of it. Trusting in God as the one greater than any person, any human that we could put our trust in. But we'll jump into that shortly. Through this summer series, we've been having uh, different people come up to pray and read our scripture, and Kyle and Allie Keene are going to come up and do that, and uh, appreciate them helping out. You can follow along. The words are in your bulletin, or they will be up on the screen as well. All right. Good morning. From Psalm 146, praise the Lord, let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. 
gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you this morning uh, praising you. Uh, we praise you for the sun, sun, sunshine. We praise you for loved ones. Uh, we praise you for safety for our teams that had traveled and are traveling. Uh, we just thank you for being such a wonderful God. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to worship uh, in this church and uh, continue to do so. Uh, we thank you for the words that you provided um, Bill with this morning, uh, the words on his heart from you, and we just thank you for the day ahead. Uh, may we serve you in all that we do. Uh, in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The psalm of praise is intended for something for all of God's people to join in, even though it starts with the author and we could probably speak of this unknown person as the worship leader, but his intention was to do it through all of his life. And again, that's something I think that we can echo. Now, the bottom line of this psalm is trust. And the question that it raises is, where do we put our confidence or our ultimate trust? That's really what this psalm is getting to. It points to the necessity of keeping our ultimate trust in God and not in the people of power and influence that we can so often feel pulled toward. The warning about this issue of trust is in verse 3, and it says, don't put your confidence in powerful people. Now, some of you will have versions that will say something like princes or nobles. Don't put your trust or your confidence in them. Simply put, they're talking about people with influence and power, and at a level that has always existed throughout history, and we still have people, of course, in that kind of, that kind of level of power and influence today. And it's saying, keep your, your trust, your confidence in God, not in them. And it's important to say that the problem is not with these people, because there is no problem with people having power or influence. That's not the issue. It is where do we put our confidence? Do we try to get answers? Do we try to get things done through the people that we know, that we know might be able to help? And you understand how that goes. Again, the problem is not with these people themselves, but where we put our confidence. And it goes on to give two reasons why, right? If God says, don't put your confidence in these people, the first uh, reason is at the end of verse 3. It says, there is no help for you there. And the thought there is that in the ultimate sense, and again, we're, we're thinking not just at a human level, but at the ultimate sense, there is no sense of deliverance, there is no sense of help that can come from people who, frankly put, are just simply human, right? Um, Yes, we can get help from them, but in that ultimate sense, it can only go so far. The second reason, in verse 4, it says, when they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. See, the thing is, this is true for anybody. It's, we're all going to die. And People with power and influence will die as well. And so the, the idea here is, 
yes, we, we recognize the influence that they can have, the power they can have, but at some point, they're not going to live forever. None of us do. And even in the idea, it talks about plans there. And we've, we've all heard this idea in, in leadership terms that there can be a good, if there's a good succession plan, then what that leader, that person of influence has done is passed it on well to someone else to run with. Because again, that person will die someday. But very often, people don't strategize very well. And so when somebody's gone, so are their plans, just like it says here. And so the idea is just to recognize that no matter how good, how, how positive their influence might be, however good their plans might be, it's, it's just human. And these people, like any human, they make mistakes too. Now, there's often a temptation to be drawn toward the powerful. It's where we think we'll find answers, we'll be able to get things done. And we all know that. Again, the problem is not with the people and that recognition, but it is when we put our trust there. That's where the problem lies, and we don't keep our ultimate trust in God. Now, as you're reading this, and, and I, I just come up with questions as I work through stuff. I think I'm getting worse the older I get. I, there's more questions that just seem to come up as I read through things. One of the dilemmas you might feel as we're talking about this is to recognize trust is very important in human relationships. Our highest level of trust is in the really good friendships that we have in marriage. We trust those people, and rightly so. And it goes all the way down, all the different levels of trust that there are. And it could be neighbors and coworkers, where we need to have a level of trust with them. At the same time, we recognize that in dealing with people, we all fall short, and trust can be broken, sometimes worse than others. And we also recognize, and it's, it's just so true in our world today, Um, that people in positions of influence and authority, especially in in the greater society that we live in, many people have broken that trust. Sometimes it's been through abuse. Sometimes it's just through hanging on to power too much. And we all know that. So again, it's it's to recognize that, that power and influence in people is not a problem. But how they use it does affect what we do then with our own trust. And what's important here is to recognize that the level of trust that we have in people, a lot of times, not always, a lot of times there's a direct correlation between then how we trust God. Because if we've had somebody that's been in a position of authority over us who has abused that authority and has broken our trust, it does make it harder to trust God. It it just does. Not always, again, but very often. And so again, all of this is just to recognize that if we need to trust people, um, even while we recognize that sometimes those same people can let us down, how do we keep our ultimate trust in God? That's really the, the key of this whole psalm. And this is the direction that it goes. It starts from a, this warning about trusting powerful people to why our ultimate trust needs to be in God. In verse 5, you'll see... Um, that it talks about in, in the, the um, New Living Translation I used, be joyful, and some of you will have something else. In the original language, it's the idea of being blessed, and it's this idea of a beatitude. You remember Jesus' beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on. Well, in the original language, and coming back to what it, it more literally says, I'm just change, making this slight change. So it says, blessed are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. 
He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. Now, this is where the contrast between our trust, putting our trust in people and putting our ultimate trust in God starts to stand out because we recognize God's greatness and what he does is so much bigger than any person. The point here is to look to him as our helper, as the one that can come close by. And the idea of helper is someone whose sense of presence is close by so that when we're in a a position where we feel vulnerable, when we feel like we're, we're being weighed down, that through the Holy Spirit, we, we very often have this same sense. God is there with us. And so he can be our helper that way. But also because he can be our hope. The one who goes beyond this life, the one we can look to that way. See, he's the maker of heaven and earth, and he's faithful to all his promises. Now, I mentioned before that in these praise psalms, it gives reasons why we can trust God. And this is what we come to here. There's a series of short statements, starting in verse 7, that describe what God does for people. But more than that, where his heart is at. I think you'll recognize this in these, these 10 statements that we're going to go through fairly quickly, but then we're going to slow down and get a sense of what it's about, that this is God's heart. This is what God is really concerned about. So we're going to run through them. Verse 7, the Lord gives justice to the oppressed. And this is God's perfect sense of what is just and right, and that is especially for those who feel put down. The Lord gives food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. And this is talking about people who simply feel burdened with life. I think we all get that sense sometimes. The Lord loves the godly or the righteous. The Lord protects the foreigners, And these are people that we would refer to as refugees or immigrants. The the thought of people coming from somewhere else and living where we are. The Lord cares for the orphans, those children without parents. The Lord cares for the widows. And then the final statement in verse 9, the Lord frustrates the plans of the wicked. Basically, all this is saying that the Lord is looking out for people with the most special and vulnerable needs in society. The people who back in that time were the most vulnerable, and it doesn't take a lot of imagination to recognize the same is true today. Many of these same people in their situations are very, very vulnerable. And I want to say two things about these statements about God's heart for people. The first is just simply to recognize the questions that this raises. Again, th- this is where my mind starts going, just questions I, as I was reading through it. Because as you read through it, and as you saw these listed, it almost inevitably raises the question, what do we make of those times when things didn't go well, when what we read in this psalm didn't happen? How do we make sense of the times when it might seem as though God didn't do what he said he would? What do we do then? We're all aware, for instance, that not every blind person has their eyes open, do they? The Bible says that, and we know that from life. So what in the world's God after by saying that he opens the eyes of the blind? If nothing else, I would answer that question this way. They are expressions of God's heart for those who are especially in need and are vulnerable, even when those needs and those vulnerabilities continue. And that is when it is hardest. 
when things are not going well, when illness is hitting us and we're just not getting over it, right? We all understand that. But God's heart is still there. He still feels for us and he doesn't want us to stay in that place. I think that's the idea of what these statements are all about. But we also recognize that when those things happen and there's not relief, that's why it's so difficult to trust God. My point is this. If we don't at least acknowledge these questions, and better yet, honestly try to address them, we open ourselves up to confusion and doubts because we all know life is going to hit us hard. It's just going to. It does, and we all hit it in different ways. And so we need to have at least started to work through some of this and try to make some sense of of what it's saying, to understand God's heart, even if some of those things we go through aren't relieved. We don't see that sense of relief. Because life throws a lot at us. We all know of illnesses, losses, death, and we can go on and on. When those things happen, we need to have at least started to work through some of this. And so again, we need to recognize the questions. The second thing to say is that even though the focus is on God and what he does and where his heart is, what he looks for is for us to do what we can in these areas. You'll have heard some people talk about it, that we need to be God's hands and feet. And I think that's very true with this. Some things we can do, not everything. We can't open the eyes of the blind, but can we provide help for people who can't see well? Of course we can, And, and we can go on and on that way. To put it another way, if we say that God cares for orphans, those children without parents, then we need to do what we can to help those who are caring for orphans. We need to do what we can for those who are looking to adopt, those who foster, and again, provide tangible support. Interestingly, this month, there are two families from our church that are, are flying to China to take the next step in their process of adopting. One is hoping to come back with their little girl. And it's a pretty awesome sort of thing. Now, we are all, not all going to be able to adopt or do that kind of thing. But can we support them? You bet we can. And that's the idea of it. Or if we, we see that God cares for refugees, we need to do what we can that way to help people in getting settled and really bucking the trend where a lot of people who are refugees and immigrants, they're demonized. And I recognize it's complicated sometimes. But this is where God's heart is for these people. Or if we think about freeing the prisoners, does this mean that God doesn't care that there are consequences for somebody who breaks the law? Well, of course he does. God recognizes that. But when it talks about freeing the prisoners, there's something bigger and there's something deeper that I think God is trying to get across here. And that is, if someone has broken the law, then there do need to be just and fair and appropriate consequences whether it's punishment through being imprisoned or in some other way. But there also it goes beyond that. We don't want to keep the focus just on the, the consequences, but to recognize that we want to help those people to do what's right, to make restitution as much as possible. And if be, in the instance of someone who has had some, something stolen, well, to pay back as much as they can. And we want to get to a point where not only that, but there is a sense of restoration where the person who has been incarcerated is able to get out and find a job and they are able to get work that is going to be sustainable. They'll be able to get a place to live and all of that. And we have people in the church 
Jay and John that are involved in a ministry that is seeking to do that through Potter's House. Um, and I, I've been, I, I was counting up not long ago, I've made 80 visits to people in, in prison over the years. And none of them have been the real hardcore sort of situations. Most have been at Lancaster County Prison. But I've been involved with these people. And I, I know that sometimes they just screwed up. You know, they, they did something they shouldn't have, and they're in there. But that doesn't define them for life. And I think that's the idea of what this says. The Lord is interested in freeing the prisoners. Not that he doesn't care about consequences, but he cares about so much more that goes on in their lives. So with all these areas, and the people that are recognized in this psalm, the people that have needs that are vulnerable, we can't be involved in every area. We simply can't. But what God looks for is to reflect his heart in some way. And to be part of something, which is really what part of being a church like this is about, that we look to do, that we are involved in helping in different ways and in, with different people. That's the challenge that's before us. Regardless of what we can and can't do, regardless of our politics, we need to reflect God's heart as much as we can. Now, 20 years ago this month, um, there were two women who died just within a few days of each other. We've already probably, you've probably been hearing one of them, Princess Diana. Um, do you remember who the other person was who died within six days of her? There you go. Mother Teresa. And you put the slide up then, Stan. Um, 20 years ago, end of August, Princess Diana died. Um, six days later, Mother Teresa died, early September. This, act, this photo, interestingly, was just two and a half months before they died, taken in the Bronx of all places. Why they were both in the Bronx at the same time, I have no idea. Um, we lived in England at the time when Princess Diana died. And those of you who were around then, if you remember all the media and all the, that was going on, and if you thought it was a lot here, believe me, it was even more there. It was, it was a profound thing that happened in the country that we were part of. Um, just with her death, I remember waking up on the Sunday morning because it happened late at night on a Saturday night, and I turned the radio on as I was getting ready for going to church, and they had this quiet music on, and I thought, okay, somebody died, somebody important, and found out it was Princess Diana. Um, and the day of her funeral um, was a huge thing. I remember our, our daughter, Andrew, was 10 years old at the time. She was out playing with some friends in the street, and we made her come back in because we thought it was so significant to watch this funeral on TV. Now, Princess Diana, I think, probably got more attention in a, in a sense, but Mother Teresa's life was recognized very much as well. And it, what was just so interesting, as I think back on that time, and, and again, we're starting to hear more about it again with the anniversary of their deaths, was that these two women were very, very different, and yet they had some things in common. Princess Diana, having married into the royal family, was at a position of very significant influence that she could wield with all the people that, and all the issues and, and, and things that she was part of. Mother Teresa, on, voluntarily, she was down at the lowest end of the social system that was around, but had an equally significant influence in the world today, working with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta especially. And what's just so interesting about these two ladies is that they were so different, and yet they made an, an impact for those who had the most need, the most vulnerable in society. And really, it just brings up, no matter where we are, and we're between these two, we all are, we can do something. We, we can make a difference. 
may not be a lot, but we can make a difference. And again, that's what this psalm is coming to. And as we come to the end of Psalm 146, it finishes with what's probably the strongest affirmation that there can be in any psalm in that ultimate sense. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. This goes well beyond anything already said about what God does in this life because it's talking about eternity. It's talking about what goes on beyond this life because this life is not all there is. It's not. Thank God it's, <laughs> it's more than that. Um, with all the stuff that goes on, and, and we all know it individually and in our nation and in our world, there is more. There is more. And this is where that sense, that ultimate sense comes out, where God is in control for eternity. He gives people a lot of leeway in this life, which is why there's just so much of a mess. He's allowed that for reasons we can't always understand. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's where this affirmation of the Lord reigning forever comes. He will make things right that are not right now. At some point, maybe some things might be made right in this life, but maybe not. That's just the reality of things. But in the world to come, this new heaven and new earth that's coming, God will make everything right. He will bring his direct control over all people and situations in eternity. And in the end, this is where the ultimate comes from, with ultimate trust. Because when you come down to it, who else can we rely on? when things go wrong in life. Yeah, there's people that that are part of helping and all that, but who ultimately do we need to rely on? It's got to be God, and that's the point. Where's our trust lie? And it's hard. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment, and I recognize that. And so I'm going to leave just a moment of quiet because I think we all need to, to reflect a little bit and say, God, help me to trust you especially when it is really tough right now. And some people here are going through some really tough times. And so we want to do what we can to encourage and and help people that way. But I want to just lead us in this prayer now. So will you join me again? I'm going to leave a moment of quiet here. Lord, we recognize that you are the God that we need to rely upon. When we don't, in that ultimate sense, I pray you'll correct us and keep us focused just with what matters most and, and to rely upon you. Help us in trusting you when our trust in people has been broken. I pray that you'll give us a sense of dealing with the questions and the the things that come up, especially for those of us who are really wrestling with things right now. Help us to trust you. Thank you that you are a God who will make things right. Hasn't happened yet, but we look forward to it. And so again, we pray that you will help us in trusting you. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.